Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast. When you set a goal, like to win a race, do you believe in yourself? Like, really believe in yourself? You have to believe you can win the race to give yourself any chance of winning it. Everyone's doing nationals so they can try and win it, don't they? To get the most out of yourself, really try to develop your own self-love is the all-encompassing term, but more more specifically self-worth, because if you don't believe you're worthy of what you're chasing after, you, you won't dream big enough. Realistically and honestly, it's what I'm training for, and I want to do my best that I can possibly do, and every day that I train, I'm thinking about that day. I don't think it's very likely, but I like to tell myself that it's possible. I think a lot of luck would have to go my way to win it. Here she comes, Garfoot. The sprint is on behind her. They are closing in quickly. They may well get off. And it's Shannon Molseed. It's Kitchen. It's Molseed. A fellow rats who gets the win. She defies the odds. They catch Garfoot who crumbled. And Molseed has succeeded. And absolutely sensational finish for Molseed. She's thrilled, so thrilled. What the timing of that sprint was amazing. Really amazing. Shannon, the look on your face says it all. Oh, I, I am so lost for words. I can't believe that this happened. Oh, it's a dream. It's an absolute dream. Then what happens after dreams come true? What if it doesn't bring you the satisfaction you thought it would? What if it does? But then your confidence gets knocked down some short time later and stays down for a long time after that. Well, this is all part of the journey we take as cyclists. And to understand how to better deal with the highs and lows, we bring on the rider we just heard. An ex-pro that's experienced in big wins and also feelings of failure and worthlessness. And is now taking these lessons and using them to help people on their journey. Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, the podcast where scientists, pro cyclists and cutting edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance, science and all things cycling. The show is co-hosted by me, Cyrus Monk, a professional cyclist and cycling coach. Me, Dr. Jason Boynton, a sports scientist and cycling coach. And then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. And in this episode, we talk to an ex-pro about her journey through cycling and beyond. More specifically, we talk about the external journey from triathlete to Australian National Road Series champion to professional cyclist, and then the internal journey of win at all costs to finding joy in the process and people, and now into a future of helping people find their own path as a self-love coach. The ex-pro is Shannon Molseed. You heard her at the top of the show in the lead up to and winning the 2018 Australian National road cycling championships. Shannon is a good friend of Cyrus, so he took the lead on the questions and started with the one question he hates getting the most. Shannon, who are you? I don't know how to answer this question uh, quickly. It's a long story, isn't it, if you go through who you are from the beginning. But um, yeah, the easiest way to answer it is I'm a a new mum, ex-pro road cyclist, and um, figuring out who I am on the other side of that, I've 
opened up my own business as a self-love or life coach, um, which is relatively new and it's on the back burner at the moment. Obviously having a little baby here, I haven't been coaching very much, but I'm starting up again and I'm really excited to do that. Looking over Shannon's cycling career, which started at 18 when she transitioned to cycling after a couple of years of triathlon, it's been full of highs and lows that have taken her on a journey of self-discovery from her very first race, which she didn't finish, but was offered a contract with the Holden women's cycling team. The physical side of the sport came easier than things like confidence and skills and how to handle success and failure and ultimately having to redefine success and make it about the journey towards the goal rather than the outcome itself. But let's take it back to get an understanding of Shannon's progression through this journey. Starting with the physical side of things, even after saying the non-physical stuff was probably the hardest part, the training was also hard work and must have been a shock because at the start, Shannon didn't understand how much work it actually was to become a a full-time road cyclist. So when I transitioned, my coach was actually the the owner of the Holden Women Cycling Team, Julian, and I remember he prescribed me my program and the first week that I had a double weekend. So I rode on both days of the weekend (laughs) and (laughs) it was 60Ks and 60Ks. And I called him up and I was like, I don't know about this, like two 60K rides back to back. How am I meant to do that? Um, so I was very, very green. And he told me, you know, 60Ks one day will be your short ride. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it that far. And I remember actually stopping at the 40K mark and pulling over and having a muesli bar on the side of the road and then getting back on and getting on with it. But yeah, so I came from a very, although I was I was good at the sprint distance tries, I was I was pretty good um, in the, I guess state level, but yeah, when I jumped onto the bike first, I was very green, which I guess everyone is, but I think it's pretty funny. And do you think like it was a was it initially really like rapid that you you were once you started actually putting in those k's and those hours that you saw the improvements or did it take a while from when you transitioned no it definitely happened pretty quickly um yeah my my body responded to the training that Jules prescribed and what took longer was my confidence I don't know the pressure of then being on the best team in the NRS at the time probably got on top of me a little bit and and then actually racing NRS races I just stopped attacking and I let that pressure get on top of me I was wasn't comfortable in the bunch and all that sort of stuff and I remember Jules sort of lining up with a few of the other NRS teams to say hey Shannon wants to go in a break today who do you want to send in a break and having conversations like that before the race begun and then he would say to me, oh, Kendall Hodges is going in the break today. So, you know, wait for her cue and go with her. And she was <laughs> a really experienced rider. And so to be with someone like Kendall in a, in a breakaway just gave me heaps of confidence. And so it was, yep. yeah, with the support of Jules to really help me with that side of things rather than because I had the physical capabilities but it was more the confidence that was lacking. And do you think like, was that something, obviously it's something that you had to work at, but was it something that 
like you've ever felt like you got to the point where you ticked it off or was that something along with your training that is a continuous thing? Like did you get to the point where you obviously when you won nationals, was that a moment, say, where you thought, okay, now I can beat everyone (laughs) or was then there still moments like beyond that where you thought, okay, no, I still have to keep training this confidence and training this positioning and knowing that I'm good enough? Yeah, yeah. Nationals is a definitely a different beast to going overseas and racing the spring classics, for example. It's very nice weather in Mon Buninyong. Um, it's a nice peloton. No one's really aggressive. The roads are really, really wide. So I was super confident in, in that race. I was on my home turf. I lived in Ballarat. Um, I couldn't have been more confident in that race. And yeah. it showed and I knew that I could win. So, you know, there's the, there's your evidence right there. I had no doubt that I could win that race. And yeah. then you throw me into a European peloton in the spring classics and I was like a fish out of the water. I had no idea what was happening. Head to the Netherlands for the Ronde van Drenthe. Starting in Emmen, the 157-kilometre route included not only several cobblestone sections, but also four ascents of the infamous Vanberg. The road ahead of them lay the peloton bare to Drent's infamous awkward slippery cobbles and treacherous Vanberg climb, with wind-exposed roads that cut the group in two. I got hit by an ambulance in Ronde van Drenthe and had to, um, yeah, had to spend the night in, in a hospital in a foreign country, not speaking the language. And so crazy stuff like that happens and it does knock your confidence right back down to the ground. <laughs> so at that point where you obviously like and I think this is an important thing and something I speak about with every athlete I've worked with is it's not linear in that your confidence will just keep improving oh, and your positioning yeah. will keep improving and this kind of thing will keep improving like everyone has bad patches obviously like even yeah if you you look at the the best of the best guys in in the sport they're still having patches where they're form is low but not just form obviously the confidence drops because of that and if they've had crashes Mm. or that kind of thing but what were the kind of at that point like obviously everyone's been in a situation where they've had the bad crash and the worst things go through your head of I'm never going to get back to to where I am or I'm not at this level um those kind of thoughts but how what were the the first things I guess you did from that point to go no I want to get back to where my head was Mm. at when I won nationals there and obviously that's the goal is going I I can win this race or ideally I will win this race so what were some of the steps you took at that point when you're at a really low point to start coming back and going no I I want to get myself to a point where I believe I can win the race because you have to believe you can win the race to give yourself any chance of winning it um I wish in hindsight I had have done things differently because I think I, I stayed in that hole for pretty much the whole of 2018. That was the best result that I ever got and the worst year that I ever had. But heading back to Europe, um, it really knocked me. It knocked me right to the bottom and mentally, mentally I was just um, burnt out. We, we were doing only Women's World Tour racing that whole year um, on a, I would say, 
a lower level team and I was definitely a lower level rider in in comparison to the women's world tour riders and I knew that and I let it really get on top of me um I just you know I had no positive self-talk it was all you're not good enough and you can't do this and and you're never really going to get there but in saying that I did have some really cool teammates that were there for me like Alison Jackson was my teammate at the time and I remember we were in Belgium and we would just go out into the car park or into a, a small road and just train skills for 10 minutes before going out on a training rides or 10 minutes after and she's quite skillful. Yeah. So. What skills? Like what, what kind of thing were you doing when you go into the car park? Um, we would try and follow each other in circles like as, as, and make it as tight as possible, um, pick up things off the ground, uh, do little bunny hops or create. Beer hand ups. Sorry? <laughs> Beer hand ups. Beer hand ups. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> Yeah, create like little circuits in the in the car park and try and go as fast as you can around those circuits. Um, and just I'd be following. And is this her. just like in in casual clothes and normal sneakers kind of thing, like at the end of the day or at the end of a training ride? Um, probably before before everyone else was ready because we would sort of be yeah okay be ready and be waiting. You know, it's like trying to herd cats when you're going on a team <laughs> team training ride together. Yeah. So there's always someone that's ten minutes late. Um, so yeah. we would we would probably do it a little bit beforehand. It wasn't as regular as it probably could have been, but um, that's one of the things that I remember doing that was valuable. And then in my off season, yeah. I actually saw a, a skills coach. He teaches, um, he's a guy from Melbourne and he was yeah. a cyclocross skills coach in Melbourne. And I went to visit him and had a session with him and he just taught me about looking where you want to go like all the really basic things but we actually slowed it right down um taught me how to go through the apex of the corner and all that sort of stuff and then I went out on descents and I just went up and down and up and down and up and down and just practiced descending and that got me a lot more confident at descending but the only thing that you can really do for skills in a bunch is to race so then it was just practicing that that's what I I have that issue just on that, yeah, talking to to athletes all the time who have a bad race with positioning and say, ah, oh, I just like my positioning is no good. What should I do? And I said, unfortunately, you just have to go and race yeah. again. Like that's the, the only way to practice your positioning because you, unless you have 20 friends who all want to come out and ride with you at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's the tricky one there. And obviously if your confidence is already low, then it's sort of a, a really bad cycle of you you're already com- low in confidence mm. so you're more inclined to stay further back which makes you think your positioning is bad and yeah. and it can get worse and worse before it gets better i'm going to jump in here and reinforce cyrus by saying positioning is one of those areas of racing that can be only learnt by doing it in races there are many factors to consider and it's more about keeping a cool head and not making simple mistakes to add to this Shannon has a great way to reframe the experience and make it a game that starts with self-talk. Self-talk is so important in that if you're at the back, for anyone listening, if you're at the back of a race and you think that you're going shit because you can't position yourself and you're getting really frustrated and you're like, oh, I'm at the back again and I can't move up, stop talking to yourself like that because 
basically the only thing that you need to do in that moment is practice positioning because you're not even in the race. So stop worrying about the race because you're not there yet, but make it your (laughs) game to make like the, those, those riders that are at the back, try and get in front of them. And then when you're at the middle, try and get in front of them and you make it like a little game where it's progress, like small steps, really small steps. And if you go back, that's fine start again like don't beat yourself up when you're back there again you will go back there again if you're not good at positioning you'll find yourself at the back a lot but yeah for me that positive self-talk in in just making it a bit more like well I'm not stressed while I'm at the back about getting to the front I'm just stressed about getting to the person one person in front of me and then another person We're now at the point in Shannon's journey where we start to understand the importance of a support network. I can already list coaches, teammates, skills coaches, sports psychologists, and let's not forget family and friends. But I want to change gears here and talk about some turning points in Shannon's cycling career because it was the realization that her family and friends support her 100%, no matter her results. This marks an important turning point in her journey where we start to really understand why she ended up having to redefine success beyond achieving a certain goal, like winning. If we go back to before 2016, Shannon wrote in an article on cycling tips, for me, success has always been measured by results and validated by other people's reactions. If I win a race, my dad, coach, boyfriend, friends and followers all validate my success. If I lose a race, in my mind, the same crowd will validate my failure. In 2016, things were a little different. I strived for success so many times and found myself unhappy no matter what the result. If I achieved my goal, sadness. If I failed, sadness. This is when the questions started coming. Why the hell do I even ride my bike? What am I doing it for? What am I doing with my life? What is the purpose of life? Which we will get more into. But to help us know where this turning point led, let's skip to now, after her career. And Cyrus has thought-provoking questions that have even more thought-provoking answers. Once I'm really excited to hear what your answers are because, uh, for disclosure, Shannon and I are cyclists. Um, friends before this. <laughs> Both cyclists, yes. Good get. But uh, I only met you, Shannon, about halfway through your final year. Mm-hmm. So it was probably a really interesting part of your career to meet you. But first one of these is what was the, and you can probably guess the, the second one from, from this <laughs> first one, but what was the best thing about being a professional cyclist? Meeting Russ. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> no, I think the, the best thing was definitely the travel and meeting new people that you form great relationships with. You know, my best friends have come from cycling, meeting them on teams and and in the bunch and they're lifelong friends now. So that's definitely uh, one of my favourite parts and it's something that I really, really miss not being there anymore and also the travel, like having travelled the world multiple times, um, you know, before I was even halfway through my 20s is and for free as well. (laughs) Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I think... That's really cool for the listeners, I think, because you're a 
former national champion and so many people would just think, oh, that's the best thing that you were national champion. But my answer is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like the the people you meet along the way and, yeah, it sounds like such a cliche when you say <laughs> that. The real winner was the friends we made along the way. Oh, let me grab my yeah. Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that and, and the travel as well, getting some free flights is pretty yeah. sweet. But that that goes the whole way through. Like, And if you're talking to Masters athletes, yeah, I'm sure they love their wins, but I'm sure they've met some also pretty pretty cool guys that they're friends with from their bunch rides that they wouldn't be friends with yeah. otherwise if it wasn't for riding. And you just do meet so many people through this sport from completely different jobs, completely different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, we're lucky that they're from different parts of the world as well. But even at an amateur level, you're, yeah, you're meeting new people and traveling to different places like America, especially Jason, I'm sure from your amateur racing days there, you're doing some pretty epic road trips to places you wouldn't go if it wasn't for a bike race. Southern Illinois. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I think that side of things, it's important. It's so easy to get caught up in, in winning bike races, but if you can find enjoyment from those kind of things then it does make it a lot easier when you have a bad day on the bike and you get dropped and you don't finish that you still have those friends that you've made you're still in some cool place when you could be sitting at home in Warrnambool Shannon (laughs) instead so Shannon I want to hear did you have to work on that or was it something that came naturally in being able to focus on like things away from race results purely Mm -hmm. Or is that something that just happened? Like, was there a time where the race results were everything or you were always able to look at the big picture side? I think there's, or there's always that duality, isn't there? Like while you're racing, you are trying to find balance. And I think some athletes do that really well and really naturally. For me, it wasn't so natural. I had to you know, maybe slap myself sometimes and and say, come on, like, let's look at the big picture here, show gratitude for where you are. You're in the middle of France preparing for La Course and you are at a beautiful accommodation and you have, you know, the sun's shining, all of this kind of stuff. And you just got to like get yourself back into the moment sometimes to realize where you actually are and to stop stressing yourself out so much, stop putting so much pressure on yourself because that can eat away at you, as I'm sure you guys both know. And I was going to say before, just add to the to the race result thing, winning isn't everything, as we all know. Um, but it's it's really, really short-lived. Like that's the, the biggest thing that I have learned in my cycling career is the win is super short-lived it's it's an amazing feeling there's no doubt about it it's euphoric you throw your hands in the air you scream really loud you hug people and it lasts for you know on a good result like nationals it lasts for a week or two and then you are back exactly where you were before you won that medal and I think that's where you've got to say like there's other things apart from the results that really matter, like your friends and like appreciating the journey, the the little things, whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. The journey. Well, yeah, my, uh, my bumper sticker for all my athletes is you need to jo- you need to enjoy the, the journey. Let me say that again. You need mm-hmm. to enjoy the journey um, because <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't, if people who are super, super results orientated 
um, you could see them get to get to it. And if they don't get the result they want, then they're just going to end the sport. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's if your results orientated, you've picked the wrong sport because you don't win many <laughs> bike races. Like if your results orientated, go play a team sport where it's one versus one. Or MMA. Yeah. 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 Or you and you win 50%. You hear about those few individuals that, you know, um, that are really results driven and are winning lots of races. But as as someone that wasn't like that, you make up the majority. Like they are not the majority of people who are results driven and winning lots. They are the minority. So let's look at the whole peloton and zoom out a little bit that um, that story is not everyone's story and everyone has their own story. So you've got to find out what, what ticks the boxes for you on an enjoyment scale and do more of that and do less of the stressful, you know, putting pressure on yourself to win every race. So that you can win more bike races in the end. <laughs> so that you can enjoy your life. <laughs> so that you can enjoy your life. An important point which links back to those questions Shannon had in 2016 and the answers she found. Quote, What I learned is that success is not a measurable entity and it does not bring happiness. My point is that success does not define you. You create goals and strive towards them, an important process in life. But whether or not you reach that goal come close or completely miss that goal, you are still you. For me, it's more about the journey towards the goal rather than the outcome itself. Previously, I found motivation, dedication and happiness from external sources, family, friends, social media, but couldn't understand why I was still so unhappy. And now know that you have to find these things inside yourself for them to be real. She finishes this article by saying what she's aiming for and she's cool if she doesn't win it referring to the national championships. Then, of course, she goes ahead and wins, which Jason and Shannon have a bit of a back and forth about a very similar but important distinction to make around motivation and outcomes. It could be a little bit of a paradox here, right? Like, in order to reduce your stress so that you can enjoy riding yeah. at a high level, elite, whatever, mm-hmm. I, I maybe totally you have to disagree. take it back and not... If, if you've got the... Oh, great. Here we go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like I, I disagree. If you if you're trying to reduce your stress for from the pressure that you're putting on yourself because you're not winning races and you're like, okay, I need to reduce my stress and enjoy the little things so that I can win more races, that is um, self defeating. It's it's really not going to work that way. You truly have to find find it within yourself to step away from needing to win in order to find happiness because it doesn't exist in the win. Like it really doesn't. And I can drive that point home so many times. I would agree with everything you say there. Yeah. So the only, the only reason I would say that is it's not so that I need to lower this pressure so I can win. It's just kind of a serendipitous thing. I'm making it from a serendipitous kind of, like, well, if you have lower stress, you're not stressed about it. Well, guess what? You might just serendipitously win more bike races and perform better. But it's not so yeah. much of like, I need to figure out my stress here just so I can win. So I'm back at square one, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, yeah. 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 It's, but I think, yeah, going on from what Shannon said, like the, you can't, it's like trying to get to sleep and you can't get to sleep and you think, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to focus on trying to sleep 
because I need to sleep eight hours and if I don't, like I won't. That's that that kind of method isn't going to work. But at the same time, if and we've we got this from um, we had Harry Sweeney and Jimmy Will and both say such similar things in that their best form has just been when they were happy and enjoying it. Mm. And you could say the same for every athlete ever. I think mm-hmm. like there's just the results are always going to be when you're actually enjoying your sport. Uh, cycling is such a hard sport that if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to be around for long. It's yeah. just so demanding. So I think you have to find that enjoyment in ways outside of results. And that can come differently for each person. Like some people don't like friends. Like Some people just don't like people that much. <laughs> Their enjoyment is the freedom and going out for a long solo ride. Yeah. But if your only enjoyment is from that win, as you said, it is short-lived mm-hmm. and you just have to be prepared to look outside of that. Mm-hmm. Coming up the biggest race of her life, which I believe is also Shannon at her best. In the last two shows, we talked to professional cycling team DSM trainer and sports scientist Dejo Sanders about his research and approach to cycling performance. That episode's up now. Check it out wherever you got this one. Okay, back to Shannon Molseed. The new awareness Shannon brought her cycling career placed more emphasis on finding motivation, dedication, and happiness from inside. And while it wasn't easy from that point onwards, it does seem like that she was able to find solutions to things like negative dialogue from being under pressure. And this is represented in one specific race. This race. The Commonwealth Games, which I I went to off the back of that Nationals result, was an incredible race and an incredible experience all round. Shannon wrote about her experience and journey going from not believing it and having to read the official document two or three times to finding the motivation from within amongst all the external pressure and hubbub, where her internal dialogue was also building pressure, but she found a way out of it. Quote, What really helped me to stay grounded and shift my focus back to the process was having a strong support network that I could talk to about my struggles. Going on to talk about the most valuable tool in her prep was a sports psychologist. The internal dialogue I created were all hypothetical. What if scenarios that weren't actually real? The reality was if I could trust the process and do the right things day in, day out, I could arrive at the games in good condition. My body was consistently strong, but my mind was telling me that it wasn't good enough. I had to work hard to switch that, eliminate the monkey mind, and refocus on fine-tuning my machine to be ready to go on race day. It wasn't until I could get out of my head and into my body that I felt strong again physically. I knew I would be fit enough and started to believe that I earned my spot and deserved to be where I was. This also helped to lift the imposter syndrome and get on with being accepted and doing her job as an athlete. And as a result, she takes over and she attempts to anyway, but she's starting to fade. Chloe Hosking, now she hits the afterburner. She's been the rider with all the pressure. It's Chloe Hosking. Williams is challenging, but it will be Hosking who wins. She's the Commonwealth champion with a look at disbelief. Well, Chloe, congratulations. Uh, Gold medalist on your CV. That must sound very, very good to you. Yeah, I wish um, all six girls could have it on their CV. You know, road cycling is such a cruel sport in that sense. I wouldn't have won today without those girls, and I'm so grateful. This is the winner of the gold medal, Chloe Hosking, 
And while Chloe is quick to praise her team and even engraves all of their names, including Shannon's, onto the medal itself, I imagine it was a pretty proud moment, which Shannon writes about, saying that cycling is different in that it's a team sport where one individual wins at the end. I don't expect everyone to understand because it is only when you can be part of that moment that you can feel that that was your win too. And it feels just as good as if you'd crossed the line first, maybe even better. A great outcome for sure. But more importantly, it was a victory in overcoming the challenges before and during the race. It wasn't all straightforward and easy from that point on though. As Cyrus mentioned earlier, these processes aren't linear. And Shannon has already said that after this race, 2018 turned out to be a tough year, which even after a new awareness and approach might have been the start of the end for Shannon's cycling career. Because it was a short couple of years later that she decided to retire saying it was because I didn't love it anymore. And when I first started, I loved it. I loved riding my bike. I loved racing. I loved traveling. I loved seeing the world. I loved challenging myself mentally, physically, emotionally, all of it. I thrived on the challenge, but I got to a point in my career where I didn't love doing that anymore. And I didn't want to sacrifice my body and my mind and my relationships and everything else for the bike. I wanted to come home and I wanted to build a family and start a life here. And I think, you know, had I kept going physically, I would have kept improving. And I knew that in myself, but I was at a stale point in my career where I kind of wasn't improving. And I think it was because I just didn't love it anymore. And so yeah, retiring was was a mix of things. Shannon writes more about her decision to retire on her blog and sums it up with something that is actually one of my beliefs, that cycling provides a vehicle for personal growth. And this is how she puts it, quote, there was no more questioning it all, thinking, what's it all for? The answer is obvious, to grow me into this human that I am now. And with that, we reach the next phase of Shannon's life. So to recap, The external journey has been from triathlete to NRS to pro cyclist and then the internal journey of win at all costs to finding joy in the process and people and now into a future of helping people find their own path as a self-love coach or life coach. And an important thing to understand here is that the path that weaves through Shannon's life also means she's taken these lessons and is now using them to help people with the same journey. Shannon's experience in cycling will definitely be part of her life and work going forward. Like she says... Everything touches everything. My ex-life coach, I guess he was as well, um, who coached me through my transition from cycling into what I'm doing now as well, uh, gave me that quote, everything touches everything, which is so true that you can't have, you know, a great mental health without looking after yourself physically and, and vice versa. And that goes out to, you know, not just those really generic areas of life, but finances and relationships and um, whatever. It goes to everything. So I I have two questions about the life coach thing as it relates to cycling, obviously. Um, One is, you know, if you're someone that's on a team or maybe you're a coach, do you think it would be see some value and maybe some of these individuals taking life coaching type courses and classes in order to kind of, you know, if you're a, a mentor or on the team or a senior rider or whatever you guys would want to call it, uh, a team leader or something like that to maybe get some official kind of training in the 
life coach area. And then the other thing that kind of branches out of that, something a little bit more serious that I would think about it is what are the signs that if you're a rider or a coach and you have an athlete that doesn't seem to be in a great place, what are the signs that things need to be escalated either from you to a life coach or from you, from the life coach to a psych, a clinical psychologist. So those two part questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you saying if you're a mentor say, and you want to move into a more of a, of a life? Yeah. Like, well, in your experience, this, when you were on the pro team in Europe and it was, it was mm -hmm. tough. What do you think? Do you think it would have been beneficial if one of the coaches or one of the other riders, I know a lot of the women's teams have riders, women that are in their thirties that are still riding professionally. If any one of mm -hmm. them would have had that little bit of extra training, do you think that is something that could be encouraged within the sport to have it yeah. a little bit more accessible um, and, and readily available within teams? So, yeah, if you've got that sort of third person that is there to help you through, I think that would be invaluable and and having some some training around that, like with some qualifications, whether that's a life coaching course or whether that's a, a, a psychologist, a sports psychologist degree or, or whatever it might be, depending on the field that you want to lean into personally, then then, yeah, I think for sure that's something that would be incredibly valuable to, to teams, which I'm sure a lot of teams do have. But, yeah, what was the second part to that question again? Was what are the signs that it needs to escalate from uh, – because one of the things that uh, Damien has brought up on the podcast before is that sometimes, you know, a lot of our psychological needs and healing just happens just from day-to-day -day conversations with mm -hmm. people. Um, it's at, but at certain points, things need to get escalated to professionals. Mm -hmm. And so I guess there was kind of a, mm -hmm. I'm imagining there's a hierarchy of here of like talking to a friend, talking to a life coach, and then talking to a clinical psychologist. I don't know if I'm correct in mm -hmm. that thinking or not, but what do you, what would you say is the warning signs or signs of escalation from each to each one of those kind of individuals or professionals yeah so i think if people are showing you signs and symptoms of um of depression that is longer term so you know not just a few days here and there if they're saying i'm waking up every day and i can't find a reason to get out of bed and you know i've got no energy and maybe i've got uh, thoughts of of self-harm or um or worse, um, taking my life, that might be a trigger for some people on this. So I'm sorry if that if that's triggering anyone, but it is a real thing that people do have thoughts of self-harm and suicide. And if, if they're expressing anything like that that to you um, or, or you're worried that they may be thinking along those lines, then that's a time that it's outside your scope of practice and and you might want to refer them to someone that that is qualified to or or, or trained to help them, isn't it? Mm. It's not so much about their, their qualification, but it's they've got the tools and they've got that experience in helping people through that. So if you feel like you're not in that uh, skill set, then, then it's time to pass it on because mm. um, this is people's livelihood that we're, that we're talking about and, and you have a responsibility 
if someone's leaning on you for help to get extra help if you feel like you can't actually help them. So, so yeah, I think it's just being honest with yourself and, and saying we need to, to move this higher. And that can be a really hard conversation to have with that person, but also can be a really important and potentially life-saving one. So, And it's nothing, you know, it's nothing to scoff at because, I mean, the, the coach's role, we've talked about this a lot, is to be kind of this master generalist. And so there's no coach, no individual that's going to have mm-hmm. a mastery of everything. And so, you know, for our listeners, then it would be, yeah, what are these warning signs um, within it? Because, I mean, within the context of cycling, right? Because if someone's having some off days here and there and they need to talk with a life coach, then that would be one thing. But if, yeah, it would definitely be escalating when it'd be like that chronic depression and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and you can definitely like try to help in other ways before you feel like you need to escalate. Like if they're just not getting enough sleep, sleep is a massive factor in mental health. So if they're not getting enough sleep, then it's like, okay, let's, let's have that sort of conversation first. And look at the other areas of life that you feel like you are adapt to um, adept, adapt, adept to deal with. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if it's still not improving, then yeah, look, look further for someone a bit more qualified. Um, I've got one last question here. Uh, what, and it's, it is a tough one. I hate <laughs> when this gets thrown on the end of interviews, but what is your number one piece of advice for, any of the listeners looking to get the most out of themselves Be, on the bike? To get the most out of yourself, really try to develop your own self-love <laughs> is the all-encompassing term, but more more specifically self-worth because if you don't believe you're worthy of what you're chasing after, you you won't dream big enough and you won't you won't allow that that level of say success for a, for one of a better term to actually come to you. And I know that this sounds um, maybe a little bit woo woo for some people, but if you're, if you don't believe that you can actually be worthy enough to receive from the universe or from whatever powers that be that you believe in for that to come to you, then it won't, if you're not putting that energy out there, that's like, no, I deserve this. I'm worthy. I'm, I, I love myself enough to actually dream big and, and go after it in a way that's genuine, not in a way that's like, yeah, I'm going after it, but, but, but I'm never going to get there and I'm not good enough. And, you know, it's never going to happen for me, which I've been there. I've been in that mindset of being in that position versus, yeah. no, I am good enough and I am strong and I deserve this. I'm worthy. Like all of those affirmations that, that are probably cliche in some people's mind, but they do once you believe them, which you won't at the start. But when you start talking to yourself like that, um, yeah, like a, a, a personal story, I used to repeat those affirmations. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm powerful. I'm free on my bike ride. And I would like count with my fingers holding the shifters one, two, three, four, five, like all the way up to a hundred. And I made sure that I did it a hundred times every single ride um, for a while before that sort of actually sunk in. So yeah, it, it's, it's close to my heart because I've got that personal experience, but that self-worth actually believing that you are good enough to 
have good things happen to you. Yeah, and I think that's something that you'd see across all sports and all of the top-performing athletes, uh, you get a sense that they believe they belong mm. there. No one's excelling at their sport thinking, geez, I'm just I lucked out getting here. I'm not that good. <laughs> like it just doesn't it doesn't happen. The the best guys, particularly in cycling, because it's a sport where you literally have to take it off someone else. Mm-hmm. Like in a sprint coming towards the finish or on a climb, you see someone else there and think, No, I deserve this win more mm-hmm. than them. So you have to yeah, to have that within yourself to believe that you do deserve it more than them. And it's a tough thing for some people to do because it's a very selfish way of thinking. Um, but, yeah, it is you have to prioritise yourself in exactly. that sense um, to be able to put yourself ahead of others in the race. I think the term selfish gets a really bad rap. Um, it's seen as like, you know, as a an ugly trait to have, but it's actually a really important trait to have in elite professionalism of any kind you have to be selfish in order to put yourself first exactly what you said to to be able to be the best that you can be at the thing that you're trying to be the best at (laughs) um so yeah it's not a bad thing to be selfish in cycling and I think that's also part of the reason why I was no longer in it anymore was because I I just didn't care about beating other people (laughs) I was like I don't know why I would want to beat anyone so, yeah, I really lost that drive, um, which is a big part of why I also retired. One of the hardest things in the universe is to understand the interior of our own minds. We can spend decades on Earth before we've grasped even the very basic things about who we are and how we function. It's not for nothing that the ancient Greeks felt philosophy had only one command, know yourself. But however arduous the journey of finding a stable sense of what we're worth or a secure hold on our own values and judgments will help you get the most out of your cycling journey. Thank you, Shannon, for jumping on the show. You can find out about her one-on-one or group coaching services on shannonmolsey.com or search for her Instagram under her name really excited to hear what the listeners think so once you listen to this episode definitely get into our dms and let us know what you think of this it's completely different to i think what we've done before in terms of we're not we're we're still talking about cycling performance but coming at it from a really different angle so it's been good to to change this up from a few of the really good physiologists and coaches we've spoken to in the last few weeks so it has been really good to discuss this stuff and I'm sure it'll keep coming up in future episodes as well. So thanks, Shannon, for coming along. Coming up on the next show, we explore and possibly shatter some common sports science terms. And while you wait, why not check out our last two shows? We talked to professional cycling team DSM trainer and sports scientist Dejo Sanders about his research and approach to cycling performance. It's up now where you got this one. Also, please make sure you subscribe to or follow the podcast in whatever app you listen to your podcast. Go ahead. You can find the button in that app. It's probably a heart or it says follow or subscribe. It's in there somewhere. Go ahead. Click it right now while you're listening. Please and thank you. Do do you guys want to hear an overshare? (laughs) Go. All right. Yeah. All right. So on, on this um point here uh so 
I think I've said this on the podcast before, I grew up racing go-karts and motorsports. So I was racing from when I was like 13 till I was 18. I can still go out and kick anyone's ass on a go-kart that isn't a go-kart racer. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, and then I came into five years later. So I came into racing mountain bikes and the thing with mountain biking racing is that like you have to be like from the gun it's full on like it's (laughs) all about how good that start is and what i was realizing is that like i just had so much nerves at that start line and it was really affecting how i was starting and everything and i just never felt strong in the start and it took me forever to get into a zone and so i didn't it was really early in my racing career. This is so like 20 years ago. And, and I was like, what do I do? So mm. I went to a hypnotist and <laughs> it was funny because this hip, he's speaking of woo. This woman was pretty woo, but like hypnotism is not as woo as this woman was. Um, so she, she put me down and um, she went through the process and she asked like, why, why are you struggling with this? And I said, because I'm not an athlete. And yeah. I just like was bam. Like, it was like, wow. It was like, yeah. because yeah, because I grew up yeah. being picked last in sports and it was kind of like, so did some of the questions, did the height, did the hypnosis work, Jason? Well, I'm enough of a scientist to be like, eh, I don't know. I think what really happened was I moved over to road cycling and i think it just was the hyper exposure is that when you stand in a road start line that anxiety that pressure is not there because everyone's just going to like step off and ride easy for a few k's and then things are going to get going it's not like you have to perform right off the start like a cyclocross or a or a a mountain bike race Mm -hmm. and to get to take the whole shot um so yeah that that was my overshare but i i was thinking about that when you're like this like the self affirmation stuff and i was like yeah that was me that, does, that was me and it only came out yeah, through a, a awesome. hypnosis session it so. does tie in big time and like that's what yeah i'm glad we got shannon on to talk about this because obviously we do focus mostly on the physiology side of things but it is important to recognize that if that isn't there then the physiology doesn't mean a whole lot if you are, are just not it, not in it on the start line and that yeah if you if you mm-hmm. don't see yourself winning and it's not going to happen 